Thank you so very much. Good morning. So good to be with you as we've gathered together this morning to worship our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, we have begun a series, a new series. It's in the book of the Psalms. So I'd love for you now to take your Bibles and turn with me as we've made our way now up to Psalm 11. And this psalm is a psalm that has to do with the times in which David's life is being threatened. If you've ever experienced those times in life where for whatever reason you were in the midst of threatening circumstances, this is a psalm that is meant for such. It's also a psalm that has a lot to do with the political, the national well-being of a nation. And what's curious is the way in which this can relate even to life today. So I'd love for you to make your way to this passage, Psalm 11, so within book one of the Psalms. And you'll notice that this is to the choir master of David. In this particular case, in the superscription, there isn't anything more definitive because it seems as though this is something that really describes his overall life experience, doesn't it? where in 1 Samuel you're dealing with David feeling threatened by, by King Saul. In 2 Samuel, he is being threatened by Absalom, who wants to take the throne from David. So there's threats all around, and what you are going to find in the midst of this is his inner circle advising him, guiding him, directing him. And they're going to want him to simply look out over his own well-being. But what I want to say is that the guidance that your inner circle of life might have with regard to concern for your own well-being may not always be consistent with God's will, God's wisdom, God's word. Because we live in a culture where self-protection, self-preservation, self-focus seems to be primary. But what if God wants you to be out there in the risks of life, facing the battles of life, even when perhaps the safety, the security, and the exit sign saying, this way to get out of this situation, are unavailable to you? Where do you go? What do you do? Where do you turn? The psalmist went for you. Because in Psalm 11, you will have his inner circle advising him. Is it Jonathan? Is it Joab? Is this a a group of the mighty men described in 2 Samuel 30-something that were part of of his core of concentric circles of relationships that are saying, flee. When to listen and when not to. You pick it up in verse 1. Where I'm reading now, David is saying, in the Lord I take refuge. Now he poses this question. How can you say to my soul, notice the quote marks, he's quoting them, flee like a bird into your mountain. For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. Key question. If the foundations are destroyed, 
What can the righteous do? Unquote. See the quotes? Notice now his response beginning in verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him, speaking of God, let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire, sulfur, scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. Bring it home. Verse 7. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. So this is what we're going to explore this morning. Seven verses that relate personally, that relate politically, that relate nationally and globally. And we're going to ask God now to guide us as we try to connect the dots and apply them to 2021 living. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, what we want to do now is to explore your word so that we might have a better understanding of who you are, a better understanding of how you work. Father, I pray that whether we be present in this building or now watching on live stream, that you will be speaking in very profound, distinctive ways. If there is a secularist, unbelieving individual, part of or listening in, we're thankful. I'm thankful. In asking that that intelligent mind now will be engaged with truth, grapple with things that matter most, reassess their assumptions, Put faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. For that religionist grew up in churches, denominations, knows the creeds and the catechisms abstractly, but don't know you personally. You, you just seem so distant. Father, now crowd their space. Crowd their space. Push into that heart and show them, Father, that this is meant to be personal. This is meant to be real. This is meant to be lasting. May they too come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. The one who loves you, the one who has grown in you, remind that person we're on mission. We've got a call. The calling is now we're to be developing, cultivating, making, multiplying disciples of Jesus Christ. Leading people to Christ who lead people to Christ who lead people to Christ and so on. We're not consumers. We're not here to simply take in. We're also to give out. So grant us, Father, and help us to build a bridge between what we're taking in now on Sunday and what we're going to be giving out on Monday. Warm these hearts. 
engage these minds, shape these wills. As again, our Father, we've come here to see Jesus, Him only. Praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. And Graham Lotz, looking out over the nation and pondering her own life situation. Her father, Billy Graham, has now gone home to be with the Lord. Her husband now home to be with the Lord. And she's thinking about an experience that she had years ago with her husband. When she writes in her blog, my husband and I got an estimate on remodeling our house. One of the first steps was to ask the contractor to examine the foundation in order to determine if it was strong, strong enough for new construction. When he did so, he reported that the pilings had so weakened that anyone who walked across the floor above them was in danger of falling through. Well, without hesitation, my husband and I decided to rebuild the old pilings to strengthen the foundation of our home. And then I thought about our nation. The foundation of our nation. The pilings that we sometimes refer to or call our values. No longer do we seem to be holding up under the construction of the time period of polarization that we are in. What do we do? How do you build a life under such circumstances? Where do we go from here? Here is someone who's experienced loss and understands gain. And what we want to do is to allow her questions to be drawing us in now to this text to see how this relates to 2021 living and beyond. Because what I want to do with you now is to examine foundations and draw some perspectives from these seven verses that relate to the way in which we live life today. Now the first is found in verse 1 down through verse 3. And we're going to phrase it like this, that when it seems as if the foundations of life, your life, my life, our lives, are being destroyed. I want you to begin by first of all noting with me the counsel, the personal counsel that we need to assess. David is going to have to assess counsel that's being given to him, advice being offered him in the battle of life by his inner circle. Not by secularists, not by unbelievers, by people who would say readily that they believe in David's Lord, Yahweh, but they want him now to run. Notice how this begins. David takes his stand, do you? The opening phrase is in the emphatic position in the Hebrew language. He begins, in the Lord. I take refuge, not in my military. He's got the mighty men, known as the mighty men of David, surrounding him, concentric circles we can read about in 2 Samuel. 
He can look at the various aspects of the terrain, the topography of Israel, and say, these are places where I can go for refuge. But what I want to see and what I want us to be able to grasp is that it's as if now he is looking directly in the eyes of his advisors who have just offered him some counsel as to how he can safeguard his, his, his life. You can almost see the look of Davidic grin on his face. And he says, in the Lord... I take refuge. This is foundational thinking. This is starting point when life is such that it seems the ground underneath is giving way. Years ago, I was reading the story of Frank Lloyd Wright. Given the impossible task, so it seemed in that day and age, of building the Imperial Hotel in Tokyo. No comparable construction job ever been undertaken in prior times. But with patience, he laid plans for the building in the land of earthquakes and tremors. Now, the writer tells us that after carefully reviewing the situation, Wright found that eight feet below the surface of the ground lay a 60-foot bed of soft mud. Question, why not float this great structure on this and in some way to make it absorb the shock of the earthquake when the ground gives way? Now I paused when I read that years ago and I thought about all the people that I've pastored through time when they feel at various points in their life experience it's as if the ground gave way. They were standing. They were standing firm. But the ground wasn't. After four years of work amid ridicule, jeers of skeptical onlookers, this most difficult building in the world was completed and soon arrived the day in which it was tested when the worst earthquake in 52 years caused houses and buildings all around to tumble and fall in ruins as their foundations gave way. But the Imperial Hotel stood because it was able to adjust itself to the tremors below. Now, people, what we need to do is to position ourselves in such a way that we can adjust when the tremors of life are such that others might topple when the ground gives way. But the one who's put faith and trust in Christ says, it's in the Lord I take refuge. There's something secure here, something solid here. Why, well, even Jesus would say, everyone who then, uh, who, who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell. The floods came, the winds blew, beat on the house, but it did not fall 
because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and heat against and, and, and beat against the house. It fell and great was the fall of it. And what I want to say at this point is that when you build your life upon that which can sustain the tremors of life, you have a statement to others as to how to live when life gives way. Now it seems as though David's advisors, who are being quoted now in the psalm, are saying, the ground is giving way, David, flee. Whether it be Saul in 1 Samuel, Absalom in 2 Samuel, the common theme is such that the promise given to David that Messiah would come from his line is under threat by those that would want to take David's life because if they can knock out David, they can keep Jesus from coming. Because the line, the promise, goes through David. The stakes are high. What does he do? In the Lord I take refuge, he says to his military advisors, the mighty men described in 2 Samuel. So now now he poses a question. He's going to have to get them to reassess their own beliefs of what's going on around them. Who's in charge? Who's sovereign? How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? Now notice here, he's now quoting them. You saw how how the quote began to enter itself and introduce itself into verse 1. But before that, he poses this question, how can you say to myself, in other words, their advice is going deep. He is processing inwardly. This has gotten into his soul. These individuals who claim to have put faith and trust in Yahweh are not demonstrating faith and trust in Yahweh when the tensions of life are are abundant and the ground seems to be giving way. You have created an internal sense of tension, he is saying. How can you say to my soul, and now he begins to to, to quote them, flee like a bird to your mountain, now, you're always going to want to link the Psalms to First and Second Samuel, which is the story behind the song. Samuel behind the Psalms. In First Samuel, chapter 26 of verse 20, Now therefore, David had said, Let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord, for the king of Israel, speaking of of Saul, has come out to seek a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. And here now, he he is quoting his advisors, Flee like a bird to your mountain. A recent book I'm checking out, It's entitled, Partner to Power, The Secret World of Presidents and Their Most Trusted Advisors. Examines the relationships between presidents throughout the course of time and their closest advisors, the values, 
the relationships, the council, Alexander's impact upon George Washington, William Seward's counsel for Abraham Lincoln, Dick Cheney's guidance for George W. Bush, advice. And how do you assess advice to make certain that it is, that it is wise or unwise for the moment in which we find ourselves in? Now, they're saying, flee like a bird to your mountain. And these are his advisors, not his opponents. And they've gotten into his soul. And now, in analogy, you're up now to verse, verse 2. For behold, the wicked bend the bow, and archery in the military terms that day and age were part and parcel for the course. The wicked bend the bow, they have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright and hot, and therefore they're saying, in essence, flee, run. Stonewall Jackson. During the war with Mexico, Jackson came under what we'll call punishing fire. Horses were being killed. Gunners deserted. Find shelter, refuge behind embankments. Reading one of his biographies, Jackson remained at the guns, urging his men back. Years later, when he was a student, or rather a professor, of students in Virginia. They were asking their professor about this episode and one of them astonished asked, sir, why didn't you run when your command was so disabled? I love his quiet strength in his reply. I was not ordered to do so. I was directed to hold my position. I had no right to abandon it. Is there something in your life right now where you feel as though you need to abandon it? Notice now these are people that are extraordinarily concerned for his well-being. These are his advisors, not his opponents. What I want to say is that there's something more important in this culture of self-preservation than the well-being of the individual, and that's living in the will of God. And sometimes being in the will of God means being in the crossfire of life. What about counsel? What about your inner circle of guidance? directors, advisors. What I want to say is that we have to make a distinction between accepting counsel and assessing counsel from personal friends. For you see, not every opinion stated is wisdom imparted. Let me say it again. Not every opinion stated is wisdom imparted. 
So then what you have to do is to assess your inner circle. They might be very vocal, very verbal about what's going on. But opinion stated is not synonymous with wisdom imparted. You're raising children. Help them to discern how to develop what I would call the concentric circles of relationships. Jesus had his inner three, Peter, James, John. But then the next circle out were the 12, including Judas. Next circle out was the 120. Making your way, say, to the 5,000 that are being fed, hungry as they are. Help them to be able to discern which individual belongs in which circle because not every opinion stated is wisdom imparted. It's those closest, those who are part of the inner circle that need to have your ear. One of my favorite passages in Proverbs is chapter 13 of verse 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Life is a walk. Who walks with you? Have you allowed for your inner circle of advisors to be people who are saturated with biblical wisdom, not merely people who vocalize emotional opinions? so as to be able to have impact for the long haul of life, not merely the, the immediacy of the threats of life. Choose your friends wisely. Establish concentric circles and don't necessarily make the outer circle the inner circle. David is going to have to assess now the quotes here. Flee, they said, like a bird to your mountain. For behold, the wicked bend the bow. Look around you, David, at the military threat. They want you disposed of. They've fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in the heart. And now, and now they get to something that must have truly impacted David. <laughs> something that impacted uh, Anne Graham Lantz. Verse 3, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If you look out and it seems as though politically, culturally, socially, the fabric of life is deteriorating, and you want a solid foundation to build a life, build a family, build a church, build a nation, impact the world. But this is part of the quote. This question is part of the advice. They're posing this to their leader. David, we're concerned for your well-being. If the foundations are destroyed... What can the righteous do? Where do you go? Their, their, their advice? Flee like a bird 
to your mountain. Now, if you've been to Israel, you know something about the terrain. Look at this picture, the hill of Hekelah. This would have been a setting that David would have spent time at when, when Saul was hunting him down. The terrain is rough, rugged. A natural place for a man to go and hide when it seems as though life is threatening. If that doesn't suffice, look at the next one. Throughout the Middle East, including, of course, Israel, there are caves. And these caves are actually a network, topographically, where one can keep moving from one to the next to the next. Think years ago, Osama bin Laden hiding out in caves. Now here's what's fascinating to me, and this is personal. 20 years ago, 2001, it was 9-11, and I was being vaccinated so as to be able to travel to the Middle East, to speak from a series of psalms to a wide-ranging group of missionaries in the hills of Pakistan. And as I was being injected, the nurse was crying because the towers were coming down that very day. And she said, Gary, don't go. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? I got home and the president of the Free Church called and said, Gary, don't go. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? See how personal this one is? When it seems as if the foundations of life are being destroyed, you know, first of all, with me, the personal, the personal counsel we need to assess and don't assume because that person is part of your inner circle, your life group, your equip, whatever, that, to put it this way, wisdom is being provided when reality is simply an opinion being stated. People love you. They're looking out for your well-being. But the wisdom of God, the will of God, has got to invade these, these, these counseling moments, the advisory sessions. So we have to equip ourselves with the quotation marks that David utilizes here in the second part of verse 1 down through verse 3. There's a difference between accepting counsel and assessing counsel. And that is very challenging when the counsel is coming from somebody who says, I love Jesus. What do you do? You go to God's word. There's your blueprint. There's your framework. The personal counsel we need to assess in one through three now is going to lead us to this second of three perspectives where you're back to the text and that's the essential truths that we need to apply. Now, David, 
ends his quotes, he's been processing inwardly. He's an internal processor, but he's also an outward form of communicator. Here is now what he says in his own musical composition of Psalm 11. The Lord is in his temple. Notice how he began the first stanza in verse 1. In the Lord I take refuge. Now in verse 4, after completing the quotation of his advisors, he says, the Lord is in his holy temple. To couple it, for added emphasis, he states, the Lord's throne is in heaven. If you get to London, or you've been in London, St. Paul's Cathedral is a place to be. Now, there was a particular pastor in London. He was extraordinarily loved. He was extraordinarily gifted. His name was David Watson, passed away at the age of 50. People throughout Great Britain were moved by his teachings and his writings and his life. So at the memorial gathering of St. Paul's, it's the edifice that was designed by Christopher Wren, one of the great architectural attractions in London. Over 2,000 people gathered together, including the Archbishop of Canterbury. No seat was available. All were taken. For you see, a servant of the Lord had died. God's people all across London, all stations of life, all colors, all races had gathered together. Let Chuck Colson describe the scene. As the service began, the presiding pastor reminded the worshipers of David Watson's favorite festal shout Our God reigns. Suddenly, almost as if it started by a gentle breeze, the shout began in the back of the great cathedral, sweeping across rows of carved mahogany pews in a rising crescendo. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. And the entirety of that building, they said, shook. And it was as if the entire population in London was being introduced to the supremacy of God. This is what David is saying to those who want to say, run to your favorite cave. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. There's something more significant than self-preservation. His eyes see. His eyelids test the children of men. Now notice the dual usage of testing. The end of verse 4, the beginning of verse 5. He tests the children of men. But now he narrows it. 
The Lord, and that is the personal relational name for God, the Lord Yahweh, tests the righteous. His soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. And now you say, Gary, on one hand, God loves, and on the other hand, God hates, and God is a God of love. And how do I understand this about God, you see? Let's back her up. You're asking great questions. Now, I want you to bear this in mind. When you're prone to say to yourself, I can't relate to, to verse 6 and what David is saying that God should do to his enemies. Look at the threefold imagery. Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur and a scorching wind. Furthermore, be the uh, portion of their cup. It's tough stuff. What you and I have to bear in mind is this. God had established a promise to David plan through David that from David would come Jesus. Now if the evil one can take David out, then the evil one will keep Christ from coming. And the whole plan of salvation gets destroyed. Thus generation by generation by generation, what the evil one attempted to do was to kill off baby boys in particular, Think Pharaoh. Kill off the Jewish population. Think Haman. In other words, the continual threat was such, David recognizes it, and he says, but God is a God who is gracious. He will send Messiah into this world through my line, but God is also a God of justice, and therefore he will thwart. He will produce justice upon the line opposed to this Davidic line. You see and thus, you see, at the very beginning in Genesis, the story of Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel because the evil one wants to thwart the coming of Messiah. So what does God do? He's not going to be thwarted. He just raises up another child for Adam and Eve. And then the line continues forward. Onward to Jesus. Now what David is saying at this point is, God, do justice upon the Antichrist line. Lord, do justice, you see. Enact justice upon the anti-Messianic line so that grace is offered through the Messianic line. That is the tension being described here and why this is so significant what David is calling upon God to do here. There is grace and there is justice, and both are righteous. And you see it at the cross of Jesus Christ, where justice and grace were meted out so that you and I could put faith and trust in Christ as our Lord and as our Savior, you see. What he has done is now introduced to his, his inner circle, people who supposedly love him and love the Lord, the essential truths that we need to apply, and you and I need to apply them as well. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. The Lord tests, and so on and so forth. And now, and now, hearing the echo out of St. Paul's, our God reigns. You drive it home. 
And you bring it up now to verse 7. Because thirdly, when it seems as if your, your inner circle, your advisors, the people you listen to are saying that the foundations are being destroyed, you assess it, you don't merely accept it. You know your God reigns. So the personal counsel needs to be assessed. Second of all, the essential truths, they need to be applied. But here's your third, the critical promise. It needs to be embraced. Look at verse 7. Bring it home. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. When one is saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, remind yourself, you were not born righteous. At the time of salvation, you were not made righteous. Rather, you are declared righteous. It is a legal term. Furthermore, when you've put faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have been declared righteous by God in order to pursue the righteousness of God. David gets it. We need to communicate this. The Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. Therefore, he says, the upright shall behold his face. He's saying that the king of the universe is accessible. And you can have relationship to him at a personal level if you know his Messiah. We know him as Jesus. Years ago, my husband and I got an estimate. What do you do? We were told that the pilings had so weakened that anyone who walked across the floor above them was in danger of falling through. So without hesitation, and Graham Lotz writes, my husband and I decided to rebuild the old pilings, strengthen the foundation of our home, what we need to be able to say congregationally to families and to a nation, foundation building is found in a relationship with God exclusively through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's stand together. And so, Father, this morning, I'm praying for that person who got here and it seems as though the earth seems to be giving way. What they assumed at one time earlier in life was so stable, it's now marked by instability. The foundation seems so secure, seem to be crumbling. Father, in a world where people look for their secure caves, 
the Christian finds security in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, again, may we embrace how David began. In the Lord I take refuge. And may this now be the dominant theme for our lives this week. As we commit all these truths we've studied this morning into your care. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.